This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good morning. Last week, um, someone sent me an email asking me if I'd write an article on Shashin for a Buddhist magazine. And I emailed them that, and then they, they wanted it, interestingly, the day I would come back from Ireland. I thought it was kind of fitting that I didn't have time to write an article because I was going to do Sashin. But it did set me thinking. Uh, What can you say about Sashin? You know, often when I uh, teach a workshop, I'll start it with uh, an, an idea like this. If this turned out just the way you would want it to turn out, what would that be like? You know, if Shashin turned out just the way you you would want it to, uh, what would that be like? Um, In a way, it's those ideas as I was saying last night, it's those ideas and notions that motivated us to come. Um, and then also, as I was saying last night, there's something um, beyond our ideas that motivates us. You know, Sometimes it occurs to me it's more like a feeling, an intuition. Mm. Um, or sometimes in Zen it says not knowing. So we have our ideas and then there's something beyond our ideas. In Zen it says not knowing is more intimate or most intimate. So that sensibility too. There was an Irish writer who, John O'Donoghue, died about 10 years ago, I think. And he said, childhood is an absolute hive of imagination, a forest of first encounters. It's often occurred to me that something in that speaks to awakening. No. What is it to live in a forest of first encounters? What is it to even notice what you're encountering at any moment? And then additionally, what is it to not just let that be uh, 
the latest version of what you think you're always experiencing. That way in which our mind and our psychology has become programmed to experience within certain patterns. And as we begin Sushin, how do we um, how do we initiate an involvement that enables this uh, opening? That we fall into, we open to a forest of first encounters. What state of mind is that? What kind of intentionality does it have? What kind of disposition? How much does concentration play a role in that? How much does um, not knowing play a role? How much does the disciplined involvement in the structure of Sashin play a role. And then that delicate balance between the ideas we have in response to those questions and what happens as we engage Sashin. And then again, as I was saying last night, each of us has our own very particular notions, motivations, experience. You know, each of us brings our own body and mind and preoccupations and concerns, desires and aversions to sitting here together. We sit here in a mostly quiet environment and the intensity of our own lives uh, stirs something up, creates an, an involvement, an intimacy and challenges us to pay attention and to notice and experience. And as we start, how do we establish a resolve that in the midst of all the things that are going to come up for us, that we keep returning, we keep returning to now, we keep returning to what's happening now.
that's both utterly exacting, you know. What's happening now is not, do you approve of it? It's not what you conclude from it, what your judgment of it, what your associated memories. It's now. It's that exact. And it's also that spacious. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be a particular way. And so here's a couple of notions I came up with. Uh, thinking of that as a, a form of what's happening now is a form of renunciation, you know. Like we renounce, what do I want to have happen? What would be my idea of success? You know, what do I want to not have happen? Uh, what would help me survive this uh, ordeal? What would be my goal? as a perfect outcome, you know, that we let them all go, that we renounce something and we open to the possibility of what is. And that within us that renunciation has, has um, two challenges of our all too human life, you know. And those two challenges are uh, how we relate to the notion of self-sacrifice and self-indulgence. It always strikes me coming to a place like this, you know, how um, one of the primary um, symbols, icons of Christianity is Christ on the cross, the ultimate self-sacrifice. And how the word sacrifice comes from sacred. to engage the self in creating the sacred. And how within Buddhism, engaging the self to enable the sacred, um, it it takes on a different approach. There is there is now annihilation. There is a um, the transformation of of wisdom. You know, that um, that in the forest of imagination, in the forest of first experiencing in the forest of wonder, 
each thing arising as itself. Um, the sacredness of everything becomes evident. No. That it isn't a process of annihilation, it's a process of realization. You know, I have a dear friend and mentor who's a Benedictine monk. And if he were here now, he'd say, oh, that's exactly the same as Christianity. <laughs> He's more or less said that to me <laughs> on occasions. Um, and yet within our own workings, you know, there, there's something we... Um, we hold to with regards to the self. You know, that, that deep impulse of self-preservation. That, that the way our mind and emotions and our psychological patterns have woven themselves into a particular disposition particular patterns of response, of, of creating significance. Um, how do we release that? How do we let the original being of each moment shine through the stories and preoccupations that are often abundant within us. And it can, in the process, it can feel like a sacrifice. I don't know, maybe it can feel like we're being crucified. But Certainly from a Buddhist perspective and a Zen perspective, uh, that, that kind of um, seeing the self and seeing the patterns of the self as the enemy that need to be destroyed is um, is misguided yeah. and maybe that brings in the other notion the notion of self-indulgence yeah. and how often in our practice we, we can feel like there is um, a polarity, you know. In one hand, the nobility of practice is asking of us a certain kind of self-sacrifice, and the uh, 
the tawdry nature of our patterns is drawing us into uh, self-indulgence. And this is the battle between good and evil. Um, But the word indulge um, you know, comes from the Latin and the primary meaning of it is to um, is more like to appreciate or enjoy or to savor, you know. And we can think of it as you know, th- there's a way in which um, we are nourished by life. We're nourished in a whole variety of ways. You know, we're nourished by food. We're nourished by pleasant experiences. We're nourished by interactions. You know? We're nourished by the experience of beauty. So self-indulgence as nourishing the self, you know, creating a sense of contentment, of being nourished in a way that we let go of a sense of lack, a sense of something missing. There's something I don't have that I need. And that mysterious mix between need and want. That mix between what we might call healthy appetite and um, obsessive desire. So from a Buddhist perspective, self-sacrifice, self-indulgence, the challenge for us is to um, to see what's going on, to see see how these are not uh, human activities or characteristics of our human activity that need to be annihilated. No, we need we need to see what's going on, and to see how to be uh, skillful with them. To see how, as as we engage, that something um, is revealed. You know, that when we experience them as a struggle, to look at how are we relating, it creates a struggle. And how that that very process is part of what creates the intensity of Sashin. Yeah. 
we, we come in this machine and we're asked to renounce the usual patterns of our life. We're asked to renounce the usual patterns of our behavior. Um, and, and that in itself is, is, a, um, is a challenge, you know. Our usual patterns carry with them a kind of familiarity. Maybe even a sense of security. And as, as we set them aside, uh, there can f be f feeling like we're being denied something. And can our sense of purpose in Sashin, can it open us to... Um, we're setting something aside to discover what we might call uh, a more alive way of being. And of course, all this is just the world of ideas. Maybe this is what I should have written in the article. And of course, as we enter into Sashin, um, we go beyond ideas. Yeah. But the, the sense of purpose as we sit as upright as we can, as, as we sit with as much um, balance, openness, letting the vitality of our body uh, flow, let, letting it discover its own aliveness, letting the vitality of our breath flow. As we engage in that way, we, th these ideas become secondary. They, uh, but they can guide our dedication. They, they, they can help us stay on track. Because inevitably what comes up for us is the echo. The, the momentum of the agendas of our life. What comes up for us is the, the echo of what we want, what we don't want, what we're concerned about, what feels like unfinished business. Hmm? And can we attend to it, can we experience it, not just in the binary of, you know, this should be annihilated as an expression of self-sacrifice, or just getting caught up in it as an expression of self-indulgence, you know. Rather than falling into either of those, can we experience it as the expression of the moment?
to attending to the body and the breath and all the senses what we hear what we taste what we see you know this this primary admonition instruction that we've all heard many many times you know, but every time we come to Shishin is how do we how do we express it now? Whatever this Shishin is going to bring up, how do you open to that? And there's something powerful even in that kind of intentionality. Whatever this Shishin brings up, I will open to that. I will experience that. I will attempt to chart this course between trying to control it, suppress it, and getting carried away by it. No. To just experience it. And to let ourselves find, how does that notion register for me? What's, what's the alchemy of taking an idea, having it formulate as a resolve, and then letting that resolve become like a physical engagement, a mental engagement? It's not just an idea in our heads, but something that we can refer to and return to as who we are and what we are pours forth. In relationship to self, um, self-sacrifice and self-indulgence, Rilke said this, not in that context, but it, I think it addresses it well. You see, I want a lot. Perhaps I want everything. The darkness that comes with each waking fall and the shivering blaze of each arising. So many live on and want nothing and are raised to the rank of prince by the slippery ease of their light judgments. But what you love to see are faces that work and feel thirst. You love most of all those who need in the same way that they need to be useful. You have not grown old. It is not too late to dive in your ever-increasing depths where life calmly gives out its secret. Yeah. So that as you sit, to not 
have some notion that, that I will be in my sitting, I will be this well-behaved, well-mannered, uh, expression of life. You know, to sit more with the notion that in me, coming out of me, is an amazing range of experiences. You know? My mind, in a flash, can conjure up an old discontent. a fanciful notion, a deep yearning. To not sit hoping, hoping that that doesn't happen, that instead it will patiently, diligently uh, attend to the exhale. You know, to just sit in the Zen way, in the Soto Zen way of Shikantaza, just sitting. Uh, all sorts of stuff happens. As Rilke says, perhaps I want everything. Perhaps I'm reckless in expressing and living this life. Some way that as we attune our diligence, you know, this odd paradox where Shashin is saying, well, muster your resolve, you know, call it into action, that you will meet the moment regardless of all the amazing things that will arise. But then even in the midst of that dedication to, um, to allow for the whole workings of your being. And the, the odd paradox is when we allow for the whole workings of our being, there's something settling in that. Yeah. It, it, it's like it allows our breath to flow more easily. One of the, one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves is to allow ourselves to be ourselves. And it helps turn our efforts in sitting shishin towards attending to the moment rather than the binary of self-sacrifice and self-indulgence. Of course we can't banish them. 
Of course we can't, you know, with our good intentions, uh, banish the impulse to control and the impulse to get carried away by whatever it is we want to have happen or we want to have stop happening. But as we um, allow what's happening to be itself, they, they become less authoritative. In, in what's underneath, the creating the sacred and the being nourished by life start to become more evident. If we start to see that we, that we don't, in our diligence, we don't make something, we open to something, we realize, we awaken to original sacredness. Not as a construct, but as an experience. So all these words, all these ideas, um, unfortunately, in your sitting, the intensity of it will quickly take you beyond them. And, and as it does, maybe we could say the initiating inquiry, the initiating koan, is how does our resolve stay strong as we accept whatever arises? No? It, and the, the method of it is the engagement in experiencing and primarily engaging the body and the breath. And then the refinement of attending to, it's more like attending to the disposition of mind than the content of mind. Is, is the mind busy in figuring something out? Is, is, is this thought that's persisting, is it fueled, is it energized by a particular emotion? No. It's like, I want to say this. I don't quite know who I'm saying it to. Myself, someone else in particular, the whole world. But this thought is coming forth with that kind of uh, persistence. Not to annihilate it, not to indulge it, get carried away by it. 
but to feel it. And sometimes the disposition, the emotional urgency of it. Sometimes when we do that, we hear ourselves, we feel ourselves in a way that's new. <clears throat> we get a taste, we get a feeling of our own urgency. I want to say. I want to complain like this. Hmm. I want to desire like this. Can all these be part of the forest of first experiencing? In how we attend to the body, you know, how we find our stable seat, how we find our uprightness, how we let the spine have its strength and the front have its vulnerability. How we let the inhale allow anything and everything to enter and how we let the exhale let it fall away and in between experience it fully as we start to sheen this journey into an expression of our own being that we both know, that we're both familiar with, and actually discover there's a way in which we can experience it more fully. That it's still who we are, still has a lot to teach us. And as we establish the basis of body and breath and mental disposition, uh, the senses of their own accord become more awake. And as that happens, to let them nourish us to let them be that kind of indulgence that nourishes, that savors, that we start to create a contentment in just being now. It's not something we can insist upon ourselves. 
It's not something we can figure out. Or that we can be satisfied just with the idea. It's the direct experience that nourishes us. You see, I want a lot. Perhaps I want everything. The darkness that comes with each waking fall and the shivering blaze of each arising. Um, So in terms of Dokusan, I, I think, given our numbers as it is now, um, there's time to see everybody twice. So um, please don't hold back from signing up. You can do that with Miri. And, um, and think, you know, what am I noticing now? Not so much to come to Dokusan with, oh, here's my problem, fix it for me, or um, I'm not doing it right, tell me how to do it right. Um, so what am I noticing? And how am I responding to it? what I'm noticing. What is it to practice with it? Someone else can only offer us maybe some clues, some questions. Dokusan is to stimulate your process. This very mind is Buddha. Within its awakeness, it discovers how to practice. It's a realization. So we come to Dokusan to engage with someone else around um, what's being noticed, how it's experienced, how it's being responded to. So often our notion of failure uh, is a misrepresentation of um, opening. You know, it should be happening like this and it's not. Hmm. 
Your life is not willing to behave as you think it should. Thank goodness. And how what's happening, noticing what's happening, keeps refreshing this impulse to open. And we start to feel it. Um, we start to feel its effects and how the world is being engaged. Perhaps I want everything. Perhaps I want to annihilate everything and everyone I don't like. Perhaps I want to devour everyone and everything I do like. Thank you.